And God, we pray for us that you uh, might bring us to a place of uh, just deeper surrender. Uh, God, a deeper awe of your glory and your grace in each and every day. I pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would speak to our hearts. I pray you would ready our hearts uh, for whatever way you want to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have been uh, working through a series the last uh, three or four weeks called uh, New True You, and uh, today we're going to talk about how uh, God is upgrading us. But a bit of a review. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, that is, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, if you're, you're a Christian, use that word, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Uh, that one of the most common ways we, we've talked about um, that a Christian is described in the New Testament is not Christian, but uh, being in Christ. Uh, that Christ is in you, that you are in Christ, and you can't escape the reality of being in Christ. Uh, which means that every situation you're in is in Christ, that you cannot be not in Christ because you're in Christ. And as part of being in Christ is that God has gifted you with a new you. Uh, a new true you, and the true you is, is this new person, this new life that you have. And the Bible talks about that the new has come and the old is gone. That the new true you is a forgiven person. Uh, that the new true you is someone who has been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, that the new true you is someone who has access to the very presence of God, whether your day has been good or bad. Uh, that the new true you is seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And we've talked about a lot of things that are about this new, this new self. And we're to be living our new self. Uh, we are to be putting away the old and, and putting on the new. As the Bible says, uh, that your old self has been crucified. And we've talked about how your old self is dead. And how we're not supposed to uh, try to resurrect our old life, but we, we keep it dead and we, uh, we keep pushing it away. As Ephesians 4 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. That uh, we talked a lot about thinking that the difference between living the new self and and the old self has a lot to do with our thinking. That we need to make sure we're thinking like Jesus. That we are thinking in line with our new self. And we talked about how we cannot afford to have any thought in our mind that doesn't line up with the reality of being in Christ. Uh, we can't ha afford to have any thought in our mind that doesn't line up with what God is thinking about the people in our life or, or, or our situation. And so we live out the new self and we're constantly putting off as this versus the old self. And we talked about how we don't uh, try to resurrect our old self through trying to comfort our old self or trying to pastor our old self. It's dead and, and we put it off and we choose to live the new true us. And we've talked a lot about this lack acronym, APL, Apple. And that is, you just get used to doing this in every situation. That is, you constantly ask, in any situation or a conversation with someone else, what self is this thinking coming from? Is it old or new self? And so if you're talking to someone and maybe it's, it's your spouse and you start to get frustrated, immediately ask yourself, is my thinking coming from my old self or my new self? 
uh, you're at work and, and you're not having the best day. I mean, is your thinking coming from your old self or your new self? If it's your old self, we, we, we push it away because your old self is dead. We don't try, try to resurrect it. We don't try to live it anymore. And we just decide that through the power of Christ, because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm going to live uh, the new true me. And so we talked about living that out. Now last week we talked about how uh, we live this out in this world of difficulty. Uh, because we're not living in a Disneyland world. We're not living in, in, in a world where everything is beautiful and nice around us. In fact, Jesus, as we talked about last week, said, In this world you will have trouble. And, uh, and I never wish anything bad upon any of you. But I think all of us know life enough that difficulties happen. And life is not always easy. And it's in those moments when life is hard that it sometimes can be hard to choose to live the new true you, but we must still do it. Correct. In this world you will have trouble. But notice how Jesus surrounds this verse. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Because even in our trouble, we're in Christ. And Christ is around us, He is in us, we are in Christ even in our trouble. Uh, but as we go through troubles, this is also a review. Remember what we talked about last week? Is, man, you've had a bad day, you've had a bad week, you've had a bad year, and then you come across these strange verses, uh, which says, always be joyful. Uh, keep on praying, no matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Or Philippians 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And sometimes, uh, when we're going through trouble, we read those verses and say, say what? <laughs> uh, this, this is not good. I mean, how in the world can we have joy, because joy is part of the new self, how can we have joy when, when we're in trouble? Or when uh, we're going through difficulties? And part of the answer is the reality of being in Christ. Uh, part of the answer is what we talked about last week. And that is, Part of our joy comes from looking ahead. Uh, looking ahead. And this is what happened to Jesus on the cross. It says, For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross was one of the most painful and shameful ways to die. As they crucified you naked uh, on a cross, uh, put nails through your hands and feet. I mean, it's a horrible way to die. But it says that Jesus, for the joy set before Him, He endured it. There was this joy about him even as he hung on the cross because he knew joy and a more beautiful future lie ahead in terms of the salvation of billions and, and the new heavens and the new earth. And we talked about how we, as we live through our trouble, need to keep our mind and our thoughts fixed on what God has for us in terms of the new heavens and the new earth. And this is how real people endured suffering with joy. As we talked about last week in Hebrews 10. It says, you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. And then it says this, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. <laughs> These people were suffering terribly. Uh, their houses were taken away, and, and it says uh, they joyfully uh, survived that. And the question again, as we talked about last week, is how in the world could someone go through so much trouble 
and still have joy. And it had everything to do with this big because here. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. Why? Because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. And, and this is what we talked about all last week. Uh, we talked about the new heavens and the new earth that is to come. That this life is such a, it's just a nanosecond compared to all of eternity. And heaven is not, as we talked about last week, is not sitting on some fluffy cloud. Uh, heaven is the new heavens and the new earth. It is everything that we see beautiful here made perfect. And so when you see that beautiful sunset, that is a picture of the beauty of the new earth. When you eat food and it tastes good, that's a picture of what lies ahead in the new earth. When you have a beautiful conversation with somebody, that is a picture of what lies ahead in the new earth. Amen. When you feel the presence of God so beautiful, that is a picture of what lies ahead in the new earth. Uh, it, it is going to be amazing. And it goes on and on and on in our learning and our study and our creativity and what we can build and do is going to be so wonderful. And that goes for all eternity. So when they realize this, okay, so I lost my house for a nanosecond, but I have all eternity to build myself a beautiful house. I have all eternity to spend in glory with God and with others in creation. I mean, when our thinking is just here, uh, it causes us to be depressed. Uh, it's not a world, it's not a Christian view just to focus all our thinking here. Our thinking needs to expand into all eternity. And so if you didn't reach all your goals here, if you didn't quite reach your potential here, you have all eternity to reach your potential. You have all eternity to learn those things that you didn't get to learn here. And so one of the ways that we have joy in trouble is by keeping our... Uh, thoughts fixed on our real life. Our new true us is not just these 20, 30, 40, 50 years, 60, 80 years here. Our true new us is eternal. Uh, we have millions of years to live life. And so we keep that in mind. And this is what Hebrews 3 says, For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. This is like a rainy camping trip. Uh, and we know that we have a house to go to. Uh, this, is, this is a rainy camping trip. And so we keep our eyes fixed on the reality of, of our true life. Now we want to talk about another reason today about why we're going to have joy and trouble. And again, this has to do with the, the new true us. And this is another one of those really weird verses that if you have been going through a difficult time, that just seems to go like, what? Uh, James 1. Consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So again, we get this idea of joy in suffering. Uh, why can we have joy in our suffering? Well, there's another because in this verse. Just like some had joy because they kept their mind fixed on eternity, not just the present. Here's another because. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because, this is why you can have joy in your trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That one of the reasons we can have joy in our trials is because God is, that's the title of the message, He's upgrading us. That whenever we go through a trial, that God will always upgrade us. That's exactly what it's saying. 
uh, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God upgrades us when we go through trials, and so we can have joy, maybe not in the situation or the tragedy that happens, but we can have joy in the reality that we know that God has promised to give us an upgrade whenever we suffer. Now, I'll talk a little bit about this. Uh, uh, God does not cause your suffering, but He does not waste your suffering. He uses it to upgrade you. Uh, God does not cause your suffering, but He does not waste your suffering. He uses it to upgrade you. Uh, some people think uh, that God is behind all suffering. Uh, that, that, that every suffering somehow has been ordained by God, has been, it was God's will, and it was perfectly part of God's plan. And so if someone dies, or someone is raped, or someone is beat up, or you know, uh, there's a school shooting, that, that's all part of God's plan, and it's all God's will. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are a lot of things, pretty much in every page of the Bible, that happen that aren't God's will. I mean, God's will is never for you to sin. It's not God's will for you to gossip about someone. It's not God's will for you to, to, to punch someone in the face or to shoot somebody and, and kill. It's not God's will, but, but it happens. Uh, all through the scripture, we see things happen that are not God's will or part of his, his, his perfect plan. In Matthew 23, we see Jesus over Jerusalem weeping over the city. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And so this obviously was God's will to gather the people of Jerusalem under God's wings. But it says, and you were not willing. <laughs> God wanted to gather them. Uh, that was his will. But people rebelled. Uh, God's will didn't happen there. In Jeremiah 44, again and again, I sent my servants, the prophets, who said, do not do this detestable thing I hate. It's not my will, but they did it anyways. And again, that's the story of whenever we sin. It's not God's will, but we do it. This is the nature of free will in this world. Uh, if you picture, again, the new true us, that God calls us dearly loved children. Uh, we are so dearly loved by God. Now, can you picture a father who dearly loves their daughter or son, you know, hoping that their daughter or son would be raped? This is part of my plan. <laughs> Could you imagine a father looking at their daughter and just hoping that they're going to be in a car wreck and, and uh, you know, uh, they're going to get injured? Or could you imagine a, a father just hoping and wishing and planning that my, my son gets cancer or something like that? I mean, uh, God is not behind all of the suffering of this world. Right. In fact, there's a lot, uh, a much better picture of who is. <laughs> John Dan says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's amazing how many people blame God for stealing, killing, and destroying. Uh, the thief comes, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And uh, there are things when we open doors to the enemy that, that bad things happen. It's just part of this nature of this fallen world that horrible things happen. And this isn't God designing these things so that we might get horrible things in our life. But the promise is that God does not waste our suffering. Uh, the promise is that God uses suffering to upgrade us. Uh, John 1, chapter 5, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light. And there is no darkness in him 
at all. And sadly, there are people who uh, get so angry at God or uh, they spend their life being angry at God for thinking that he did something that he didn't even do. <laughs> I mean, imagine if someone blames you for something that you didn't even do. And sometimes I meet with people and they're saying, you know, why would God do this? Why would that be God's will? And it's like, well, maybe he didn't do it. Maybe it's just part of this fallen world. Maybe it was part of the plan of the enemy. Uh, God is good. There is no darkness in him at all. And so one of the questions we need to ask as we talk about this is, is there something that you're blaming God for that he might not have even done? Uh, sometimes tragedy happens. But again, the promise is that God is not going to waste our suffering. So again, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that trial may be uh, from the enemy. It may be the result of sin. It might be of your own mistakes. Uh, it was persecution in this, in this case. But Paul, uh, James says, consider it pure joy. Why? Because... You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is what God does. He's, he may not be the author of our suffering, but what he does is he upgrades us in our suffering. He wants us to be people who are mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, there are artists out there who take junk and make it into beautiful art. Maybe you've seen some of these people that take uh, junky tires and they make it into something beautiful. People take uh, car parts that are thrown away or just trash and they make it into something beautiful. Now these artists, it didn't cause the trash. Uh, they would go to, they'd go to dumpsters, it's other people's trash, but they take trash that they didn't cause and they make it into something beautiful. And this is what God does. God takes the trash in our life from our own sin, from the sin of others, from the sin, from this fallen world, from Satan. He takes trash and he can turn it into something beautiful. And this is the promise of God for anyone who is in Christ. That if you are in Christ, no matter what you are going through, God is upgrading you through your trials. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. The Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And God is upgrading us to be more like His Son, Jesus. Uh, God is always wanting to make us more like Jesus. And He does that through the good, but He also can do that through, through the difficult. In Romans 8, God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. That one of God's goals for you is to become more Christ-like. Uh, one of God's goals for you is that you might be more like Jesus. And by the way, this is a good thing. <laughs> because sometimes people uh, talk about Christ-likeness as if it's a bad thing. That it's just some sort of religious thing and Christ-likeness is, is boring and it's hard and it's horrible. And Christ-likeness is a really good thing. Uh, in Jesus was life. Do you want more life? Oh, yeah. Of course we don't want more life. That happens by being more like Jesus. Uh, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all those. That's Jesus. Uh, we need more of that in our life. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, you picture Jesus in a storm. 
He's able to sleep without anxiety. Do, do we want more of that in our life? Yes. <laughs> we can have less anxiety in our storm. That happens by being more Christ-like. Uh, or Jesus in his in, in perfect trust in the Father. No matter what situation, there's a perfect trust in the Father. I could use more of that. I mean, Christ-likeness is such a beautiful thing. It is such a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And this is one of his goals for us. To make us more like Jesus. And one of the ways he does that is he can take the horrible things that are thrown at us and he uses that to upgrade us to be more like Jesus. And this is exactly what Romans 8 says. It says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's all things. That's both the good and the bad. That God is constantly working in our lives to upgrade us. He is constantly working in our lives to make us more like the image of his son, Jesus. And so in every situation, he is upgrading us. And sometimes, uh, he uses pain. Again, he's not always the cause of pain, but he uses that to, to upgrade us. And we know this in life. Uh, people who go to the gym, uh, right? They, they work out. They, 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 they cause a little bit of pain in their muscles. <laughs> but what happens? They get stronger. That often pain results in an upgrade. We know that uh, by going to the gym. We know that through, through diet. When you uh, eat just vegetables or you juice or you whatever you do, ketogenic diet or something. But usually there's a bit of pain because you can't eat like ice cream and those things you really like, right? Uh, but that pain results in an upgrade for your body. Uh, people do plastic surgery and go through pain to upgrade their body or uh, to renovate a house. You have to go through the pain of financial cost and time and, and, and relational stress, right? You go through all that pain so you can see an upgrade in your house. And, and God does this with us. Uh, he can take our pain and He can take our trouble and he uses it to upgrade us to be more like Jesus. Uh, we see this in a lot of places in the Bible. We looked at James, but uh, we also see this in Romans 5. We also glory in our sufferings. Again, it's just like, what? <laughs> glory in our sufferings? Why? Because of the promise that God will upgrade us. Amen. And that's what it says. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. <laughs> Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, uh, God uses suffering to upgrade us. Or, or Isaiah 48, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Like uh, taking uh, uh, metals and you put it in the furnace and out comes gold after it's been refined. But that's what God does when, when He looks at us and we're in the furnace of suffering. God says, uh, you know, that's, that's sad would happen and this horrible would happen and it might not even be my will would happen. But out of this, I'm going to make something beautiful. I, I'm going to make something grand. I'm going to make you more like Jesus. I'm going to upgrade you to be more like my son Jesus, which is always, always, always a really good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we see in 95, another example. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice Jesus says, when people persecute you, or say horrible things to you, you're blessed. And whenever you're blessed, that, that's an upgrade. Uh, again, this uh, idea of upgrading suffering is all throughout the scriptures. You see, what we need to be convinced of is that God is good. Amen. And that God is good towards us. Because a lot of people believe a lie from the enemy that God actually isn't really for you. And that is a lie. Uh, I mean, it says right here, Romans 8, that it's a lie. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And especially, that means all things in terms of making us more like Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore, can that separate you? No, because again, by definition, you're in Christ. Yeah. A Christian is in Christ. And so whether you're going through suffering or persecution or hardship or famine, it's in Christ and you can't be separated from the love of God and you can't be separated from the God who says, I am for you and not against you. And again, this is not said in sort of a Disneyland bubble. Notice the very next verse. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, we're living in a world where there's trouble. And there's sadly suffering and hardship. But this promise does not nullify the, the, the other promise that God is with us and for us and He is good. Uh, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Even through our suffering. <laughs> through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, talking about this verse, uh, Mark Lowridge said this, Be convinced that God is committed to your good. He has already proved at the cross that He will stop at nothing for your good. If He has taken you somewhere, it is definitely not because He has forgotten you or, it, uh, or has it in for you. But where he has you is the best of all options for you. This can be hard to see amidst pain, but before God asks us to trust him that he is working our pain for good, he takes the ultimate pain on himself and works it for good. He underwrites his commitment in the blood of his son. Amen. God's passionate, loving commitment to you is not up for discussion. We need to be convinced of this. And God proved this on the cross. Uh, the most evil thing that ever happened in history is the death of Jesus <laughs> uh, when he died on the cross. I mean, uh, that was the enemy conspiring against him, and, and yet he uses it for the most good in all of history. Amen. The suffering of son Jesus, God takes that and uses it for good. And if he can do that, he can take your pain. And he can use it for good, and he can um, upgrade you through it. Again, this is a story through all the Bible. We see... God taking pain 
and using it to upgrade people. And we see this in the book of Daniel. When Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they are thrown into the fiery furnace uh, because they refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And uh, you remember the, the verse says, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly your master. He said, look, I can see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looked like the son of the gods, or son of God, in some translations. And many people think that was Jesus. In the furnace with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Again, even when you are in the furnace of trouble, you're still in Christ. And Christ yeah. is there with you. Yeah. Uh, even though you walk to the valley of the shadow of death, the Bible says uh, He is with you. He is walking with you in your trouble. But what He does is He takes those furnace moments, those painful moments, and He uses them to upgrade us. And this is exactly what happened to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. After this whole thing, it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That God used their suffering to upgrade them. And we go all through the scriptures. We see King David being upgraded to be the king of Israel through the suffering under King Saul. We see Moses being upgraded to the leader he needed to be through the 40 uh, years in the wilderness of Midian. We see the children of Israel being upgraded in their faith when they were stuck at the Dead Sea and the Israelites were coming their way and God opens up the, the Red Sea. I mean, their faith was upgraded and on and on and on and on. There's the story of God using suffering to upgrade us in uh, what we are going through. So it's important... Uh, that we don't hinder our upgrade through bitterness or trying to resurrect our old self. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Uh, bitterness can defile a lot of situations. And bitterness can, de can defile our upgrade. Uh, when we get really bitter... Uh, we blame God, or we try to resurrect our old self, giving us, you know, because I'm going through so much trouble, I have an excuse to treat people awfully, or whatever, resurrect your old self. You will tend to hinder what God is wanting to do. Uh, God is, the promise is, I want to upgrade you. Don't hinder what God is doing through bitterness and through trying to resurrect your, your old self. And so I'll just end with this. Uh, be curious. If you're going through a trial, be curious. You should always be curious to what God is upgrading in your life. Uh, what upgrade is God giving me? Uh, these are some questions you can ask. Is God wanting to bring you to a new level of identity? Is God wanting to upgrade your favor? Is God wanting to upgrade your relationships? Is God wanting to upgrade your relationship with God? Is God wanting to grow your faith so you can live at a higher level? Uh, what gain... Is God wanting to give you? That we should be curious. Because it's a promise, we should be, be saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you wanting me to upgrade? Uh, uh, what, what are you doing in this situation? 
Because God says, I, I'm going to work all things for the good of those who love Him. And so if you're going through a trial, uh, God has placed a promise on you. And that promise is, I'm going to use that to give you an upgrade. I'm going to use that to make you more like Jesus. Amen. And that is always, always, always a good and beautiful thing. So Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, God, that you can take those horrible moments in our life. You can take those difficult weeks, those difficult years, and God, you can use them uh, like an artist taking trash and making beautiful art out of them. You can use those trashy moments in our life and you can create something beautiful. So God, I would uh, pray that you cause us to be curious about what you're doing in our lives. Uh, God, that we be looking for what you're doing, that we'd be working with you and not against you. I pray that in any way, God, if we are hindering uh, that upgrade, God, I pray that we would just release that into your hands. And God, allow your work to be done in us. And so, Father, we pray that you would minister to us, that you would walk with us, uh, that you would grow us, that you would strengthen us. As we walk through this world that's full of trouble, yes, but God, that we would live out this idea that we are in Jesus. Amen. No matter what is going on, we are in Jesus. Pray this in His name. Amen. 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 You know, the worship team up and we can stand together as we. Uh...